Well, good morning, church family, and happy new year. It's 2021. We made it. And I don't think we could have predicted at this point last year just how excited we would be to turn the calendar into 2021. Uh, I, I remember the first Sunday last year. Uh, we were hopeful and excited for a new decade, uh, a year of, of hope, optimism. I remember Jacob Simmons preached a sermon uh, from Isaiah 6 called A 2020 Vision, which was a great idea, and it was a really good sermon. But I think now, in hindsight, we can uh, confirm that Jacob's not a prophet, uh, because in a matter of uh, a month, we were beginning to hear about COVID-19, and um, in mid-March, there was really no such thing as 2020 vision. Uh, there was hardly any vision at all. Almost overnight, everyone was learning how to live and how to work and how to lead through unfamiliar circumstances. And so people say, you know, hindsight's 2020. And honestly, I'm just glad that 2020 is in our hindsight. And so uh, we flipped the calendar to, to 2021, but uncertainty still remains. And so there, there are many things that are still clamoring for our hearts and our attention and our focus and our desires and our soul. And so for, for those particular reasons, I want to turn our attention this morning uh, to Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. We're all in need of, of refocusing our vision, going back to the eye doctor and uh, getting a checkup and seeing where our, our, our sight is actually set. And so if you have a Bible nearby, I would encourage you uh, grab that and, and turn to Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. Revelation's the last book of the Bible, and for many people, it's, it's one of the more difficult books to understand, but it really wasn't always intended that way. It's actually meant to be encouragement to first century believers. Uh, it's, it's written in a way that, that's supposed to be understood. And so um, there really is, is nothing more uh, encouraging than actually getting a glimpse behind the curtain of reality to see what's actually happening in the heavenly places right now, to see God ruling and reigning over all of creation. That's what Revelation's trying to do for its original hearers, and I think it can do the same thing for us this morning as we step into a new year that still holds some, some uncertainty for us all. So our passage has three paragraphs, and so the sermon this morning is going to have three major sections. And so follow along with me as I read the passage, and then we'll, we'll walk through each paragraph uh, kind of section by section. So Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9, this is what the word of the Lord says. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands 
one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. Behold, I died, and I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's help as we try to understand this passage together. Father, we ask now that you would uh, give us wisdom, that you would help us understand and know what your word is saying to us, that we might have hope and comfort and encouragement this morning. Help us to see Jesus clearly and love him more and be conformed to his image. We pray in Jesus' name by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So our passage has three paragraphs, but I'm going to take it uh, paragraph by paragraph. And, and here is what the first paragraph, can, how, this is how it can be summarized. First, the word of God speaks to the people of God regardless of location. The word of God speaks to the people of God, regardless of location, which raises a question for us. If the word of God's speaking to us, what does it tell us? What does it tell us? Well, the first thing that we can see is that we are connected. Verse nine, this is the apostle John writing, the John who wrote the gospel of John, who wrote first, second, and third John, uh, this John was, was in the inner circle of disciples. Peter, James, and John, they were the inner three. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so he's writing here to these churches, and as a disciple, as an apostle, he could hold out his authority. But it's deeply moving to me what he says first. He says, I, John, your brother and partner, in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. To a community of believers struggling, John writes from a place of solidarity. He tells them that they are in this together. They're connected. He's their brother. He shares in common with them three things that are found in Jesus. That's affliction and trouble. In this world, we will have trouble, Jesus says. He is sharing in the kingdom of God. That's the present and future reign and rule of God over his people in his place. And they also share the patient endurance or, or the steadfastness that can be found in Jesus. John is in it 
with them. That's moving to me. And and, and I want to say to you today, no matter how you enter into 2021, how tired or weary or ragged you feel, you are not alone. We are with you. We want to come alongside and bear your burdens. We want to advance the kingdom together. And we want to practice patient endurance alongside of you. And we hope that you'll allow us into your experience. And we've we've already said this, but the easiest way to allow us to come alongside of you and to be in this together is by letting us know what's going on. You can visit shades.org slash info to do that. But we are connected. The word of God is telling us we're together. You're not alone. We are connected. Second thing that it tells us in verse 10 is that that we are a worshiping community. John writes from from solidarity. uh, He's with them. But he himself was very much alone. He was on the island of Patmos because of his preaching and teaching of Jesus. He had been sent off away. He had been exiled away from the worshiping community. Yet even from isolation, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was worshiping. He was joining in the spirit with many different believers across congregations across the whole world. And if, if I had time, I could talk about the significance of being in the Spirit and, and of the Spirit's role in helping us understand and know what the Word of God is, is telling us. But it's, it's, it's true for John. And it's, it's true for us that we, together, collectively, as individuals and as a gathered body, we're, we're a worshiping community at our core. And it's a community that's united around Christ, unified by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God in our world. And so as we gather on the Lord's day, it's a very tangible reminder for us that we aren't alone, that we're not forgotten. We also share in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So we are not alone, we're connected. We're a worshiping community. And and the third thing that we can see that the word of God is telling us in this uh, paragraph is that words communicate. Verse 11, suddenly behind John speaks a voice like a loud trumpet telling him to write what he sees in a book and send it to seven particular churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Words communicate. That's why the word of God speaks to the people of God regardless of where they are. John is on Patmos in the spirit hearing the voice that's behind him. And the voice is telling him to write down what he sees and send it to churches in completely different locations. Words are meant to communicate, and and amazingly, these words aren't just uh, to communicate to those seven churches, but those written words have been preserved for us and for our benefit. So the Word of God uh, is is not intended then to, to be mysterious to us, but it's meant to be understood. It's meant to speak. We might have to work to understand what it's saying, 
by getting a, a sense of first century culture or um, understanding kind of first century ideas and understand the history and the context behind this, but, but we can read it. We can understand it. And that's the point. It's, it's true of, of these words. It's true for the book of Revelation, and it's true of the whole Bible. The Word of God communicates to us. The Word of God speaks to the people of God, regardless of, of where we are. And so if you want to hear from God in 2021, you can. You have his words preserved for us in the Bible, his very words. So words communicate. Here's the, the second thing that we can see from, from this passage in the second paragraph. The word of God reveals the Son of God to the church of God. The word of God reveals the Son of God to the church of God. Which, again, raises a question. If the word of God reveals the Son of God, what does it reveal about the Son? Two things, I would say. First, the presence of the Son. If it's not enough that, that John himself identified with these churches, with, the, with his fellow believers, as their brother and partner, well, well this next section is really going to blow their minds. Uh, because verses 12 and 13 reveal the very presence of the Son himself. Look at, at verse 12. It says that, that John turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. Now, usually you can't see a spoken voice or a spoken word. But here John says that he turns around and he sees a word made flesh, which really shouldn't be surprising to us if we are good readers of John's gospel, which begins in 1-1 saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And later on in that first chapter, in chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So John turns, and he sees a visible word. But the first thing that he sees, the first thing that he notices, is the location of the sun. The first thing that he, that he sees is seven lampstands with one like a son of man standing in the midst of them, wearing a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. And we've already read in verse 20 of, of Revelation 1 that the lampstands represent the churches. And they represent the seven churches that John is writing to, but it, this, this kind of works on two levels. The number seven symbolically is the number of completion. And so while Jesus, yes, is in the midst of these seven lampstands, that those seven lampstands represent the, the fullness of the church throughout space and time, and including our local church. So we see from this passage that Jesus is in the midst of his church. The Son is, is present among the churches. And honestly, if I'm one of these seven churches receiving this letter, the fact that Jesus is among us is comforting to me. In the midst of a culture and a, and a place where people can get exiled for teaching and preaching the gospel, 
where there's suffering and persecution all around you? To see Jesus standing amongst the churches, that's good. That's comforting. He's with us. He himself is with us and among us. So, so the first thing that the word of God reveals about the Son of God is that he is present among us. But it also reveals the glory of the Son. What John sees when he turns is really difficult to describe. It's an unbelievably glorious representation of who Jesus is using many different images from the Old Testament. If we had time, I could take you to Zechariah 4 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 10 and Isaiah 49 and Ezekiel 43 and Exodus 25. I could show you where all of these images that John is pulling from uh, in the Old Testament. But suffice it to say that, that, his, that his hair like wool reveals his wisdom and his eyes like a flame of fire reveals his, his discriminating uh, judgment his feet like bronze represent his, his stability and his strength. His voice, like the roar of many waters, reveals his majesty. The stars in his right hand, they reveal his sovereign control over the church and over the cosmos. The, the sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth reveals the power and accuracy of, of his words. And his face, like the sun, shining in full strength, reveals his glory. We could spend a whole sermon unpacking all of this, this image, this vision of Jesus. Which means that John had a really difficult time writing what exactly he saw. You can see that because he uses like, he uses similes all the time. It was, it was like this, it was like this. And this is as close as I can describe it. The vision is, is meant to be completely overwhelming when you see it all at one time. And one, one scholar said that, that to isolate each of these things and to interpret them individually, to try to do that would kind of be like trying to unweave a rainbow. It's meant to be seen all together, all at once. And so suffice it to say that, that, that while Jesus' presence among the churches is comforting, it is simultaneously a challenge. The wisdom, the power, the sovereignty of Jesus, that, that's really comforting, knowing that he is overruling and, and controlling and uh, guiding all things. But what gives me pause from this particular list is um, his eyes like a flame of fire, revealing his, his discriminating insight. And you pair that with the phrase that, that he writes to some of the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, I know your works, and I have this against you. Pair all of that together, and it's, that's challenging because there's, there is absolutely nothing that we can do to hide from Jesus. He knows us inside and out. He knows us for good and for ill, yet in this passage, he does not flee from us. He does not destroy us. Surely, it's unexpected that this Jesus in full glory would be standing amidst the lampstands, present with the churches. So this word of God reveals the Son of God to the church. He's, he's present with his church in his fullness of glory. 
In the midst of persecution and tribulation, the church needs this visual description of what is happening right now in the heavenly places. Things may seem out of control on earth, but Jesus remains among his church, ruling and reigning. We need this reminder too. Gathering together really does matter for believers. We're not just going through the motions on any given Sunday morning. If the curtain of reality was ripped back for us this morning, we would see that we really are fellowshipping with the risen Christ in the Spirit. If the curtain of reality was ripped back for us this morning, we'd get a quick reminder that we actually are a worshiping community, giving praise to the glorious God who has redeemed us. If the curtain of reality was ripped open for us this morning, we would know that the words that we read and preach and sing and pray actually do communicate truth to the watching world. So the word of God reveals the Son of God to the church of God. How do we respond then to this vision of Christ? Well, verse 17 tells us that John falls flat on his face. Here's a man who had been in Jesus' inner circle, one of the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. He had spent a great deal of time with Jesus in his earthly ministry, and even he is stunned by this vision of Jesus. We'll probably have the same response. But the third point that I want us to see from this passage, and the third paragraph in particular, is this. The word of God himself strengthens his people. How? How does the word of God himself strengthen his people? Well, the first way that he does that is Jesus comforts. Verse 17 and 18, John faints flat on his face at the glorious sight of the risen Jesus. And um, how does Jesus respond to this? John falls flat on his face. But Jesus, he doesn't scoff at John's weakness. He doesn't disdain John's inability to stand. He doesn't urge John to, well, go on, stand up already. No, Jesus, in his kindness draws near to John and puts his right hand on John and speaks comfort to John. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. At first blush, you're thinking, is that really comforting? But if we think about it, it might be one of the most comforting things we could hear. Think about it. In the face of a glory greater than John has ever known or ever seen, or greater than he can even describe, Jesus says to him, fear not. He speaks a word of comfort that communicates that, that Jesus' glory is actually not a threat to John. Quite the opposite, actually. J Jesus 
comforts John with, with an assurance that Jesus is eternal. He is the first and the last. So anything that John or the churches are experiencing, Jesus himself is sovereignly overseeing. Nothing is outside of his knowledge or his control. He's the first and the last. But he's also the living one who always has and always will and ever will exist to exercise his governing care over creation and uphold the universe by the word of his power. And yet there's, there's still even more comfort to be had in Christ, not only because he lives eternally, but because in the great plan of redemption, he died. This refers, of course, to the cross. The awful place where Jesus gave his very life for our sins, our failures, our weaknesses, our selfishness, our pride. Death was the payment that we owed for those things. But Jesus paid it himself. More than that, he was raised on the third day and emerged on the other side of the grave to live forevermore, having taken the keys to death and Hades. All of those in the seven churches and in the global church throughout time and space who, who face the fear of death, who face persecution, we all can receive comfort from the mouth of Jesus himself in this passage. He has come. He has identified with our pain. He knows the experience of human death. And he has taken the keys so that what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. The implications of this are huge for us. In order for Jesus to cease giving comfort to his people, Jesus himself would have to be pulled down out of heaven and put back in the grave. And that won't happen because he has the keys. That is serious, lasting comfort. And he comforts us by reminding us of who he is, what he has done in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his current rule and reign. He comforts us by pointing us to himself. There is no other way to everlasting life. There is no lasting comfort except from Jesus. But he doesn't just comfort. The second thing, the second way that the word of God himself strengthens his people is that he commissions us. Look at the, the final verses here uh, of Revelation 1. After this word of comfort from the wonderful counselor, John is commanded to write what he sees. It says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. So this connection, write, therefore, it links, links it directly to what Jesus has just said about himself. John can write what he has heard and what he has seen because Jesus, who is alive forevermore, has spoken. And because he lives forevermore, his words are unfailing. His words are sure. His words will not fade. 
And we see Jesus give clarity to John as he writes what he saw. Verse 20 says that as for the mystery of of the seven stars in my right hand and the seven lampstands, the stars are the angels of the churches and the lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus himself helps us to know and understand what it is that John has seen and what it is that John has written. And really the rest of the book of Revelation is John's faithful witness, his faithful testimony to the very scenes that Jesus himself showed him. One commentary put it this way, that the book of Revelation as a whole is a standing reminder that life is stronger than death that hope cannot be conquered by despair, and that eventually the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, who will reign forever and ever. John was commissioned to write these things, and write he did. And church family, we are commissioned to proclaim these things. Our Jesus-given commission is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. So last year, it wasn't what we expected, and it wasn't at all what we wanted. But here at the start of a new year, with lingering uncertainty, Revelation 1 is a reminder to us that the Word of God still speaks to his worshiping community wherever we may find ourselves, gathered or scattered. Revelation 1 is a reminder that the word of God points the church to Jesus and reminds us that in all of his glorious splendor, Jesus desires to dwell with us. Revelation 1 is is a reminder that Jesus is our comforter and our commissioner. He strengthens us by reminding us of who he is, what he has done, and then sends us out on his redemptive mission. And so in 2021, by God's grace and for God's glory, let's stop making excuses for sitting on the sidelines in church. Let's set foot onto the field. Let's get into the game. Let's push the ball down the field together to make a gospel impact in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, and ultimately in our city. Let's step into 2021 freed up from the pressure of having to create and establish our own visions. But instead, let's find freedom in fixing our eyes on Jesus, our glorious and risen Savior, who rules and reigns in power right now, and who has drawn near to us by his Holy Spirit and has promised to go with us. Let's step into 2021 with refocused vision, expectant for the Lord to do something new and unexpected in us. Let's pray together. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you that John has written to us this message to the churches that actually uh, communicated to them, but speaks to us as well. We need a fresh vision of Jesus. And we thank you that we have it here in Revelation 1. We thank you that Jesus himself has drawn near to us, has put his hand upon us, and has allowed us to join him in his mission. So as we look towards the beginning of a new year, Father, we ask that you would be present with us. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't predict it. But we know that you are ruling and reigning for our good and for your glory. And so we want to push the ball forward together. And we ask for your help as we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.